What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by X2 Batteries. And today you will see we are Baileyless again, but we are joined by our good friend Joe LaBarbera down What's in up, everybody? PA. Um, and we are excited to have Joe here today. We're going to be talking something really cool, a little nostalgic. And uh, we're going to be talking River Smallmouth. And comparing like old school styles of walking stream banks and getting wet up to our knees and being on the boat and what is different and what is the same. But before we get started, what's going on, man? How are you? Dude, life is good. It's like the first time I've had a break in like six weeks. So I've been home since saturday evening this we're recording it's thursday evening so i've had like five solid days i think i slept like 16 hours two straight days to start and then uh you know now i kind of like on monday got back to like business and um you know trying to do some editing trying to get a youtube thing kicked off maybe tomorrow or the next day whenever this uh whenever this recording drops hopefully the outer realm with joe LaBarbera will go live and no, life is just good. Like I lead, lead the most relaxing life. I'm like a year behind you and what you did, you know? So like, this is good. Life is good. Yes. Speaking on that, right? Like we're coming up on my one year anniversary of quitting the bank in like yeah, bud. two and a half, three weeks, which is just wild to think about that. It's already been a year, like just yeah. mind blown. But um, anyways, like, We'll uh, digress Dude, how many, real fast. How many people do you think you've put on their PB in, in a year? Between trout fishing and between like bass fishing? To be like perfectly honest, I bet 80 to 85% of my clients have caught their biggest fish while out on the boat or stream with me. So in did you do 120 trips? What was it? Oh, last year, I think I did like 75 or something. I don't remember the exact number. With trout? With trout, too? Yeah, but you have to Uh, remember like the first three quarters of the year, right? Like I didn't start guiding until April, end of April last year. And then I didn't quit until August. And I think I did like up until August, I think I did like 24 four trips or 25 trips and then from there i did like another 50 to 55 you've legit put 60 people on their pvs yeah that's so cool dude like it's um wild this past weekend we uh well my last two days chris caught his pb two days like eight times so yeah there's been like 150 pbs you know but like and and i'm pretty blessed right like i have some clients that can actually really really fish and they come in like yeah i have a pb of six six or six ten i'm like yeah we're not breaking that today it's july like um we're gonna have a shot maybe and unfortunately for my buddy ryan who's with me with his brother chris he lost probably the biggest summertime smallmouth I have ever seen in current um, yesterday. It, it, what I'm telling you, it was a giant, it was 
We caught two that were right through, either two or three that were right under six. And this fish made them look small when it jumped. That's awesome. And I'm like, I was speechless. Like, I didn't know yeah. what to say. I'm like, he, I, I like pulled out my phone to start recording him, right? Because I knew it was a giant. Got the net in my hand. And literally, as soon as I hit record, you just see the rod go, and his face just like turned white. And I'm like, yeah. White oh. and then green. <laughs> and, and crazy story. That was the only fish he lost in two days. That's was that giant? Yeah. Five eight round. I just say yes. Just say yes. Uh, yeah, it actually was a spy bait rod. Yeah, he was using the spy bait rod. Yeah, you love but, that thing. It's crazy how the northerners have kind of got gotten like really into it this year. I feel like you and a bunch of my buddies at Oneida and stuff, they've like really it's grown on them and it grew on me big time too. Yeah. Like I, I really like switched what I was using it for. And now I'm using it for a lot of the things all you guys are using it for when I, I thought the, there was a better option before and there's not. <laughs> <laughs> Did that rod, like it, it's hard to explain what the spy bait rod this that was it now like the finesse special rod, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I mean, all the ones that I own, they all say spy bait on the sticker. Yeah, but... mine too. But so you know, it's I don't know. But on uh, that rod, like it can do so many things really, really well, and it has enough power to do things that you don't think it can do well. Well, which well, is yeah, the craziest cause... part. Cause all it is, is it that 610 DSR, it's the same blank. It's just four inches longer. So some of that, yeah, weight, some of that power is down low in the handle. And since rods, you know, get, get bigger, the mandrel size gets bigger as it goes back towards the handle, it's giving it a little more power, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's it's um, it is a fun, fun rod, but let, we got, what was that? It casts a mile. Like when you're fishing and stuff, like, like it, because of the way like those guides are like, and we'll get into this on bank fishing too. Like it has the ability to reach out and touch anything, you know? Yeah. It's snappy, but it has, it's snappy. It has a quick, like almost a whippy tip to it, which is actually important when you need a rod to snap it. It fires real quick. But but not it's great. not like extra fast in action where it no. has a gummy tip. It's no. still crisp, you know. Yeah, it's 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 crisp. I think that's the best word you can use there. But um, digress real fast and tell everyone why Bailey is not here. He is yeah. down in Joe's home territory, a little bit south at fishing the Hobie BOS on Susquehanna River, and uh, the rumor mm -hmm. has it it's like four foot low. Oh yeah, like, easy. Like easy. insanely low, almost drought conditions, and uh, I've seen some pictures of people practicing them. Practicing, they are absolutely knocking their doors off, and I'm like, you it's... shouldn't be doing that in practice. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing about the river is you can have like 80 fish in five hour days, like pretty common. And what's going to happen too is is like I don't know how much rain occurred in central Pennsylvania, but like. I live in Northeast PA near a pretty cool section of the Susky that's really close to, to its headwaters. And uh, we got a fair amount of thunderstorms today, like three different times. Like it just dumped for like 45 minutes. 
So if all that rain does make its way down, it'll change their fishing conditions for the weekend, yeah. you know? So like the Juniata and stuff like that too, like a couple of the main tribs that dump in, if they pop a little bit, you're going to see some more increased flow, which could completely change the game. And if it gets muddy, that could be really interesting. Yeah, it'll it'll really come down to people being very good at what we're going to talk about today. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's a great segue into the show. So, um, you know, we both grew up walking stream banks and that's where we're going to get like nostalgic in this, right? Like grew up like first bass, like, yeah, everybody catches bass in ponds, but like first memorable bass catches is a small mouth while walking in the Creek in like old shoes or barefoot or sandals and, um, catching them on, non-traditional tackle because we had no idea what we were doing back then so to kind of like kick things off joe tell us your craziest river smallmouth story growing up in like one of your most memorable catches so really like I mean, I grew up fishing very, very, very young and, uh, my, my parents are transplants to this area. I live really close to Binghamton, New York, like right on the PA New York border. And it's actually where the Susquehanna river loops into Pennsylvania for like five miles or something. And then goes back up into New York and then all the way, which direction would that be all the way West until it shoots down towards Harrisburg. So we're in a dude, like there are so many places you can just in tennis shoes, walk right across the river. No big deal. Um, so, I mean, one of my most fond memories is really just like w- the first couple of times I got to go there and experience it. And all my dad was doing back then was um, swimming an eighth ounce Charlie Brewer slider head with a four inch power worm and uh, just a red shad power worm and uh, just the insane numbers when you, when you learned how to understand current seams and eddies and how you could just catch 40 fish in two and a half hours, like it was no thing. And, you know, some of them would only be nine inches long, but like they fought like, like the biggest bass I had ever caught in farm ponds. My dad was a dairy cattle vet when I was growing up. And so these, these nine inch fish fought like 17 inch pond bass and I mean, it it was just a really neat experience to go through numbers and really get to put baits to the test and and try new things. And and you had a lot of cracks and opportunities to do stuff. And Mm -hmm. um, it it was just really cool. I mean, I I learned a lot about, uh, you know, not clicking your bail over with your with the real handle, but closing it, because if you click your bail over you know, in all those casts you make through current drifts all day, it's not hard to get line twist. We were using like eight pound mono back in the day on like six, six spinning rods and little 2000 sized reels. And you can get line twist real quick and cause yourself a mess. So you really, you learn a lot of management techniques and skills. And I think I was just blown away by, by the magnitude of it all. It it wasn't huge fish, but everything else seemed magnanimous at that time. You know? Well, talking old school, right? Mono line. Who talks about mono line these days? And and I'm right there with you. Like, yeah, like red label Berkeley trialing. Like, yep, that's 100 clear blue Berkeley trialing an eight pound red label, and let's just go catch us a bunch of dumb smallmouth that live in current. 
doing yep. wonky things like throwing a four inch power worm on a slider adding current like i mean my dad still throws at berkeley xl to this day <laughs> oh i mean i uh up till a couple of years ago i still used it on top water rods shoot like i think the first year i tournament bass fished like i used that clear blue berkeley line on everything and i honestly looking back i think i caught as many fish as i do now when i was fishing grass and docks yeah. and stuff yeah. it's i don't think the fish care as much as we think they do and we overthink well. Well, and you things, and I, but... you and I use six and eight pound mono all, all stinking winter. So, you yeah, know, like... it's true. Used to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But, um, yeah, dude, that's, that is fun. Like I have a bunch of like kayaking and walking river memories with my uncle who passed away a few years ago. But, um, growing up, that was like my intro to smally fishing. We'd get in this mm-hmm. kayak. And there's a little creek by here that we can still like walk in. It might be posted now. I haven't done it in like five or six years, but um, we would take the kayak down and cut, do like an entire day trip, get a bunch of subs, throw them in the cooler. And um, you're going to laugh at this. You remember the old FLW, like green pumpkin chartreuse tail lizards that oh, smelled yeah. like super salt and garlic and you could only buy them at Walmart. Yep. Yep. All right. So we would throw them with like, a size like two ot ready like this is where it gets wild the old like mono line like loop like yeah loop like hooks that you can buy at walmart yeah. eagle claws bronze yeah. ones yeah that's what we would tie a swivel to put that on the line and put the six inch lizard and literally skip it up underneath trees and like subsurface wake it wow and we would catch like 18 to 20 inch smallmouth in this stream it was wow dumb and you wow. not only get like five bites a day, you would catch a hundred to 200 fish doing it mm-hmm. like yeah this my look back now with all my fishing experience and expertise quotation marks on expertise right yeah um, <laughs> like looking back it's like man what a simple time that was man. like so simple and you caught so many fish here on my Six foot six Berkeley cherry wood with a <laughs> Shimano 2000 size $20 reel with eight pound trialing on it, just having a time. Oh, dude, I it's <laughs> it's funny. Like, my dad went to college in Georgia, and like, so he came from like he fished Clark's Hill a lot when he went to the University of Georgia. So when they moved up here, like it was, it wasn't long before he really fell in love with that finesse style of fishing that six or six, six, like Berkeley trout series, medium light or ultra light or whatever spinning rod style of fishing. And I mean, he just adapted really quick and, and it is, it is like, I still love to fish that way. You know, I still have an affinity for a spin pole, you know? Which is like, if you think about it too, it kind of translates into steelhead fishing because it's a lot of the same type of fishing scenarios. But uh, let, let's kind of jump forward now because we're talking smallmouth today, not steelhead, unfortunately, because we can get into a giant rabbit hole. Oh, we go back and just forth. Just right? Yeah. But um, smallies and boats and how much different it is, but in a way it's the same, right? Like, oh, so yeah. like, what translates for you from fishing and walking these stream banks to fishing like a mega river like the St. Lawrence and catching smallmouth? 
Well, I mean, so when I was walking the banks, I was, I was oftentimes reading water and like, I went through a period of my life where I was a whitewater river guy and did a lot of whitewater kayaking too. And, um, I think one of the reasons I was a decent guide again, goes all the way back to why I was a a decent fisherman in the beginning is I was able to see those, those subtle current changes. And I was really always good at like reading the bank. So if I thought that the bank may have showed something where there, it may have disturbed like just your normal flow of current. Um, my eyes quickly started looking for small lines and little signs of, of current changes. Um, cause most of the holes that we were fishing, we're talking holes. We're only like five, six feet deep. I mean, a lot, you could walk across the river in a lot of places and then the, these fish would hold in five, six, seven foot holes. So I got good at kind of reading that stuff and, and kind of understanding, what to look for and and how to swim a bait or work a bait through certain areas. And then when I was able to transition to like a kayak and then a big boat, I was able to set myself into now places where I could make more casts that were at the right angle. And, you know, if you watch Polonek's YouTube channel or Zaldane's or any of the guys that you guys like, and they talk about fishing elite series tournaments, they, they often talk about how one cast and, and where they set their boat up can be all the difference between catching a dirty 30 and catching nothing. And, and I feel like if you can, if you can truly understand whether it's windblown current or just natural downstream flow current, when you can position the boat properly and, and present your bait perfectly it makes a big, big difference. I see so many guys these days sitting on spot lock, not truly understanding how to present a bait and current. And I mean, that again, takes us to the trout fishing you and I do, and we'll try to stay off that topic a little bit, but understanding whether you're four feet to the left or four feet to the right or right here and how that affects things is huge. I mean, and it's not even just huge on like casting angles, right? It's, Every angle for each individual bait you present the fish is so like you need to be so in tune with that. And like on the nostalgic part of it, how we're talking the river smallmouth fishing, right? And kind of talking roots here. When you're going back, like you're throwing a crankbait, you have to be at one angle. If you're throwing like a finesse presentation, that lighter line, you might have to be 10 more feet downstream and casting up and hopping it. Or like a spinnerbait, you might want to be up above and kind of rolling it through slowly. Like in every day, it's different. Cloud, cloud, sunlight penetration, overhanging trees. Every situation while walking a riverbank is so different. Like I can remember there's this hole on this creek I was talking about earlier. And um, the only way to fish it was literally to almost get at a 45 degree above the tree branch that was coming into the water behind the tree branch. It was a four foot deep hole, but in front of it, it was like six inches, but you had to take a square bill or a single swim bait and you would have to cast at almost the base of the tree, hold your rod at a certain angle while reeling to pull that bait underneath the log to get in the hole. And that's the only way you could get bit. 
Yeah. So uh, let's kind of like, if you don't mind, you and I talked about it before the show. Let's let's can we kind of talk about some of our favorite baits so people can kind of maybe start to make some connections to what we're doing. Absolutely. All right. So these aren't the ones I used. I'll get to the one I used. And that's one of my favorites (laughs) in a minute. But I happen to have some of these baits sitting in here. Um, The number one bait that I kind of learned on was a lipless crankbait. And the lipless crankbait, that's, that's, that's one angle that I, that you, you really want to learn. Are you going to be upstream a little bit? What's going to be your casting angle? Where, where in that drift are you going to hit the heart of where that angle and that vibration and the depth of that bait, where everything kind of matches up. The next one I fished a lot was just a two hook jerk bait, something small, like an X80 trick darter, you know, yeah, like fun. that two hook jerk bait. But again, the retrieve angles where you cast upstream so that you can get it moving and you can have that thing kind of set to where you're giving it the best actions to present to the fish. You might have to stand upstream or downstream a little. The next one I threw a lot was a really small finesse spinnerbait. And this is actually the one I was the showing Andrew. The rocket This box is like 10 years old and it sits in my office because I really only use it for fishing the Susky. Um, I used to take them everywhere and I still take like five in the boat no matter where I go. But that thing swam through current so well and it just, it had like a very, very, let me, where's my camera? Up here. A very, very tiny little Colorado very tiny but and it and that that tight safety pin allowed you to swim it through current really good so we had lipless we had tiny rip rip bait we had a little tiny swimmer spinner bait and then i fished a little tiny like andrew said ball head swim bait too um those were the ones i used through like when i first really started like being in my like early to mid 20s like that's what the baits i was using when I got outside of the primitive years. So yeah. like that, those were big for me. I mean, I'd like to hear what was big for you. Um, so like I premised the, the chartreuse tail FLW lizard that you yeah. could only buy at Walmart. Right. Like that was only a kayak deal when I with my uncle. Cause that was like, he had hundreds and hundreds of bags <laughs> and just used whatever he was using. But like, I was a big, like, Mr. Twister, white exude, just grub on a ball head, like quarter ounce. Oh, and like, and everybody's like, spin. oh, beetle spins, like they work too. But literally, like, what I would do with that grub, and you could catch anything on a grub, a carp on it, drum, pike, whatever. Didn't matter. Giant, large mouth. And it was all about angles. You, because if you got in a deep hole, you wanted that bait light enough to hover above the rocks. Because if you went too heavy, you're snagged all the time because all these holes have big rocks, right? So like eighth ounce, quarter ounce head, and you're almost casting upstream, but you're keeping your rod tip up a little higher and you're just slowly bouncing it as it comes down. And gosh, like I remember some of the bites that you got were just like ripping the rod, jarring Mm -hmm. 13 to 15 inch smallmouth, just ripping the rod out of your hand, just hop, 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 and almost like track, you're you're hardly reeling. You're just like hopping and tracking it and swinging it through that current and it's just hopping down. And oh, yeah. Freight train. Yeah. 13-inch yeah. river smallmouth. The hardest fighting fish you can catch probably in the northeast is a little 13 to 15-inch stream smallmouth. I think I said trout a second ago. Stream smallmouth that just goes 
berserk. A hundred percent. Um, another fun one was an old school Rapala F7, the original floater seven, and black and silver or blue and silver. And essentially the same thing. You're just slowly rolling it through the current on that pendulum. But it's all about the angle. And what I found with that was I almost like to be upstream further because they would almost always hit it at the end. So you'd want that bait deep enough as you're swinging it through, like in front of a piece of structure, that they would come out and eat it. And then like a, just a little tiny spinnerbait, like a quarter ounce spinnerbait. Like it yep. just caught fish no matter what, all the time. And the one that I remember growing up, when I was growing up throwing all the time, was like the old striking, like fire patterns with like the bleeding patterns, right? Like yep. all white, but then they'd have like two big yep. red eyes on the blades and like red scales and a red yep. hook. Yeah, that yeah. was like the jam. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Good I, love it. I love <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, like like that that X wrap, that two hook jerk bait that I threw always red. Yeah. The uh like I remember Rapala came out with a one knocker in one of its rattle trap style, its lipless styles, always red. Clack like and everything. Rap. Was yep, it the clack, clack and that's rap? what it was. It yeah, was clack and rap. Yep. I threw the clack and rap a lot, always red. I like it. <sighs> so fun oh so fun i absolutely love it so like now we take another step forward again in the boats how much have your techniques changed when you target st lawrence smallmouth right from the little susky smallmouth in the headwaters down in pa like what a world of difference so kind of take us through your bait selection now as you're on the boat trying to catch river smallies and there's well, gonna like, be some similarities and some vast differences I'm sure. so so really for me what i was looking for on the surface in terms of those eddy lines and those disturbances and current i'm trying to now visualize those when i'm looking at for me it's lake master charts for a lot of people it's navionics charts or c maps like I'm just trying to visualize those, right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to see how changes in bottom contours now can create those same effects. And, and I look for boulders at the beginning where shoals might come up from 50 to 35 or whatever depths we're talking. I, I look for boulders on the front sides and I look for boulders on the back sides because I know now how fish like to set up in current and in, and in optimal conditions when they're feeding, usually the biggest fish tend to be on the front side. They'll get on those boulders and they'll watch, they'll watch kind of bait and, and, and any food source kind of funnel up into their faces as they sit behind a boulder. But sometimes when they're, when they're not in a true feeding mode, they're doing the same thing and they're just not going to let a good meal go over their head when they're sitting on the backside. So it, it's again, trying to break down water in the same way, just on a much bigger scale. And, and we have to use our imagination like a toddler or preschool, right? We have yeah. to really be able to put ourselves in those situations and, and visualize. And I mean, that that's the game, right? That's the fun part of us being the big boys in the big boats on the big water now is just trying to take all of that stuff and make it relative, make our childhood memories relative to today. 
And, and all it's knowledge fun. is relevant. It all is. Especially when it comes to bass, because they're so they're such like a primitive creature for what they're doing, right? Like they have basically three things live, eat, and reproduce. Yeah. Like that is a bass's life. Like swim, eat, reproduce. And um virtually, like I agree one hundred percent. The biggest the most active fish are always on the front. The ones that are actively feeding but might not be the biggest fish are always on top. And then mm-hmm. the lazy giants, sluggish ones that you have to trick are always on the backside looking for that free meal. Yeah. Um, it is the same way with river fish. Like any species that you're fishing for in a river, especially smallmouth or something that's like top of the food chain predator, the biggest ones that are active will always be in the hardest current near structure to give them a break. Mm-hmm. They get the best rock to hide behind. Like if people get out of the way for them. It's like, it's like, you know, I, I'm trying to make an appropriate like comparison, but it's like, it's like that football player that wants to get in the lunch line. Like, you know, like people get out of his way. That guy's probably going back for seconds later. So when he walks into the cafeteria, everybody's like, Dave, you want, Dave, you good? You can go ahead of me if you want, you know, like yeah, they get priority, priority position, you know? Absolutely. And, and like, it's crazy to think like with smallmouth fishing is, we see them as like these very complex, hard to find fish. A lot of in a lot of situations, because they can be the most fickle, annoying, not want to do anything type fish. And one day you crack them, one hour you crack them, and then for the next three days, seven hours, twenty minutes, it's the hardest thing in the world to have going on, right? Like, yeah. And all of a sudden they're on again. Like, but if you really like pay attention to the graph. When you're on your boat, just reading 2D, not side scan, like almost old school mentality here again. Not take live out of the equation because you can always tell what's going on with live. But when you come to a simple 2D situation, you know you're around smallmouth. If you're truly tuned into what those fish are doing, by them being one foot off the bottom or glued right to the bottom, you can tell if they're going to eat right away or not when you roll up on them. Almost always. And like, I have this spot on the St. Lawrence that every year when I go up for the very first time, like I go to this spot, there's always fish there. And if I catch a two pounder there, I know where to look for fish for the rest of that first day. If I have to, if I don't catch, uh, or if I catch a big in there and he's on the front side early in the drift, I'm like, Oh, it's going to be a good day. I want to crack them today. Yeah. And it's like kind of this spot that I go to, to just like gauge are the big ones up front and feeding this morning or the big ones slid back. Like where are they right at this moment? Because I can almost find those same trends on almost every single drift I have. So like, when we're talking about current being this like ultimate equalizer, like you can run patterns off of current if the current speed is about the same. Now, like there are spots in Cape Vincent where the current only moves 0.4 miles an hour. And there are spots near Waddington where the current moves 2.4 miles an hour. And those those aren't comparing apples to apples. We're now comparing apples to oranges and, and it doesn't fly like that. But like, I know for most of my stuff that moves at like the pace that I like a lot of my holes to move at certain sections of the river, if I catch a big in, like 
like four and a half pounds or better quick on my first drift, I know where to look the rest of the day. Like I'm only going to check front sides. Right. And then if I catch a little one and I finish the drift and I don't get a big one at all, I'm like, okay, like I have to go to a different kind of drift, like drifts that set up different for the rest of the day. And it's really, really neat to take the stuff that I had on such a small scale as a kid. Oh, are the big ones here? Like, are they the first ones to eat? Do I get them really early in the drift? Like, and I do that from like when I was sinking nine to like 16, when I was walking the banks, my mom used to like drop me off when I was like 12 and 13 and 14 until I could drive. And then she just like dumped me off for six hours back when you could leave your kids, you know, safe in a, in a random neighborhood. But uh, it's funny to take that stuff I learned, you know, and, and like apply it on to this place that has only almost a million CFS of water flowing through it at any given time. Yeah, there's um, there's quite a bit of current up there. But I mean, like well, it's your relative- no different. Oh, gosh, the Niagara is nuts. Like today. Uh, well, yesterday now, because this is Friday. Uh, I was seeing 3.1 to 3.4 because of the wind and the normal current. Fun. Oh, gosh. And they would not eat whatever I did. Like, all my big fish spots were, like, either eight inches or nothing. So, what? when the wind's not blowing, what's a lot of the stuff that you like to fish move at? Um, I When the wind's not blowing, I go shallow, and I just cover a ton of water with top water. So, what like, would that normal current be where you were though 1.8 okay i love that speed almost almost half like the guys in the open last year that were getting like second and third and fourth remember how they're fishing like you could almost see the mouth of the lake when if you watch the open and watch bass live last year when i didn't watch oh it's cool so they were fishing and stuff that was flowing like 0.3.4 on a flat calm day like Yawn. <laughs> yeah, yawn. Exactly. Like to me, like, dude, I, I like to find the stuff that moves. Like there's mm-hmm. stuff in Brockville on the St. Lawrence that moves over two miles an hour. There's stuff in Waddington and Messina that moves over two miles an hour. And I like that stuff because like fish don't get a good look at what you're, what you're presenting, you know, like they're either going to mallet or, and try to rip the rod out of your hand or, you're just going to fly through there and be done. And like, that's how I prefer to fish, you know, yeah, like, what, let's, just, let's get to it. Like, I don't got, I don't got any patience to wait around for you chickies. Yeah. What I find too, is when you get in like the bigger current and this relates to all fishing, right. Um, all stream or river fishing. When you get in big current, they're going to either eat or they're not there at all. And when I say they're not there at all, they're literally laying tucked on the bottom behind a boulder and your chance of catching that fish because the current and how much it changes in that section is almost slim to none. But if you get them on like a flat, and I mean, we all know like burning a spinnerbait is one of the most fun things to do for those fish because you can cover a ton of water. It doesn't blow out if you mm-hmm. have the proper spinnerbait. Right. And you'll watch them. They'll, they'll turn around and come from like 80 feet away to eat a spinnerbait. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. it is the most addicting fun bite in the world. A-rig fishing that way is fun. Crankbait, if you have the right one, is fun. Um, yeah. Hair, if you like hair jigs oh. like Joe. 
they will come from forever away to mouth a little eighth ounce hair jig for no reason. Yeah, like what are you doing, you dang fish? Like, I love it. Ugh, drives me nuts. So smallies, it's um, fun. So let's let's uh, progress here a little bit, right? Like, we're gonna talk no boats. We're gonna dive in here, and I I brought this up to you, but we are uh, going smallie fishing today, right? I'm picking okay. up from your house. We got the kayaks, or we're walking and waiting. It's your choice. Uh, what is the one singular combo? You are taking so spinning rod bait caster, oh, yeah. one plano box to fit your terminal tackle and baits in a sling pack. What are you bringing and why? So like I'm definitely, I'm definitely taking like a seven two to seven six spinning reel. Like I'm either taking Alpha Spy bait rod or I'm taking the seven six that I've been working on for like a year now, um, because I want to be able to reach out and touch them. Right. No matter what, I want to cover water. I want to be able, I, I don't have some sissy rods. So I'm going to have like 12 or 20 pound cast braid. I'm going to put a, you know, probably a 10 to 12 pound fluorocarbon leader on it. Um, you know, like to me, that setup is super important. And for me, I know people are going to think I'm crazy. I'm always a 4,000 size spinning reel guy. Um, that big drag allows me a lot of surface area, right? The bigger the spool, the bigger the drag. The bigger the drag, the more surface area it has. So it makes your drag feel much smoother when it click, 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 when you pull it out. It it gives it less potential for needing more pounds to initiate that drag to start moving. And then it keeps it very smooth throughout the drag pole. So the bigger the spool, the better you are. I only use 4,000s. So I'm going to use like a Sirtate. I You could use a Tatula. I, I like the Sirtate. It's to me the best value on of all the, the Daiwa reels, but I, I'm a Daiwa reel guy. Spinning reels, I think they make the best spinning reels. So whether it's Kage, MQ, Tatula, Ballistic, Sirtate, whatever is your poison, I, I think Daiwa has the drag system locked down good. Um Baits for me are going to be really, really simple. Like I may, I may take like an eighth ounce, uh, football head and shove it into a, you know, two and a half inch tube. Cause for me, river fishing needs a very, very small presentation. Um, I like the eighth ounce because it gets snagged a lot less. Like, I think it's a good thing to have, whether it's a Ned rig or a tube, tiny little presentation like the two and three quarter inch TRD a two and a half or two and three quarter inch tube from poor boys or whatever brand anybody's using, you know, strike King makes a good one. Exxon makes a decent one. Like I just get a tiny one. I think that small presentation leads to a lot of bites. Um, so that's going to be like my bottom bouncing bait is like the really tiny tube. Um, and then I'm, I'm dude, I'm going to take a two hook jerk bait for sure. And I'm probably going to take a lipless again. Like if I'm going in a kayak or I'm going waiting, I feel like I can do all of it. The only other bait that I might take that I didn't take as much when I was a kid is, uh, I really, I really have grown to love the Okashira screw head. And if I can get away fishing shallow with the Okashira head, cause it's only an eighth ounce, um, and put like the three inch cast prodigy on it, which to me is just a more realistic looking way more durable Kitek. It has a similar body roll. That list is very similar to a Kitek, 
but I can get way more fish out of a cast and its profile is way more realistic looking. Um, that's probably going to be the fourth and final bait I'm going to take. I, I got to have that Okashira head because the, the Okashira is different than a lot of, uh, of your uh, spin, spin style jig heads because its blades aren't the same size. So it gives off like a weird vibration. And anytime you're in current, I think vibration from a rattle trap or, or any type of lipless, any type of paddle tail swim bait, like I want to cause a disturbance. And uh, that's what I, why I choose the Mega Bass branded spin jig head rather than some of the other brands because I like that unbalancedness uh, out of the two different size propellers. I like it. I like Pretty it simple. Yeah. One bottom bouncer and then three different moving baits that give off three different vibes that I can fish at different angles. Like one might be high in a hole where I'll, and then I never have to lift up my kayak anchor. Right. Yeah. Or if I can't walk out to where I need to be standing to fish one bait, you know, like I have two more that I, I can fish at different angles. So yeah, it's simple. So for me, you're going to love this answer for me because I um I found a purpose today on my guide trip for a certain rod in the Elf Angler line, and that is the wrench. It can throw a top water like a walking style top water, like a one fifteen gunfish. Fine, you can mm-hmm. fish a Ned rig on it. You can mm-hmm. fish a swim bait on it, mm-hmm. which I like the spy bait rod for better. But you say wrench, but you can get away with it. Um. But you can do other things too. You can throw like a Mega Bass Vision 110 Junior on it or mm-hmm. like a two hook treble bait jerk bait. So that would be my rod, right? Is a wrench with like 12 Very pound braid. Because yeah. everybody needs a wrench, dude. Like every, wrench. every toolbox yeah. needs a wrench. Yes. So like that would be my stream rod, will be a wrench with a 3000 size reel, um, some cast braid because I love that stuff now that I'm actually finally using it. My line selection, though, is going to vary because we have our sling pack. So I'm going to have probably 10-pound fluoro all the way up to, like, a 14-pound mono to put on there because if I'm throwing a big walking bait, like a Gunfish 115, I want the mono in a Mm 14-pound test to go on there. So, like, maybe a 12- or 20-pound braid to the 14 mono. And then the fluorocarbon, you can get away with like a 10 or an 8 when you're fishing bottom contact bait. So same thing, I'm going to take like a little TRD or a tube style bait, something 3-inch, 2.5 to 3-inch. I'm going to have a single swim bait, like a cast one or along those lines because you can't beat that when slow rolling it. Um, I'm actually going to take like a little spinner bait because stream smallmouth will destroy a spinner bait always yes exactly um and some type of popping top water and a walking top water or something that props so like wow yeah because my first top water experiences came from fishing these little tiny creeks just ripping poppers as fast as you can so more about angles, right? We're going back to ankles. Angle. Ankles. We're going back to angles. And he's so like, an ankle man. <laughs> so there's this little shoot that we walk in on, and like there was a big rock, and it would kind of funnel down and turn hard to the left, right? But there was a big tree that would come out. So the cast was 
you'd throw, you'd stand on the rock, you'd throw where the water kind of comes down and turns hard to the left, and you'd pop pop that popper real quick. And then to keep it out of the tree, you had to keep popping it, but you didn't want to straight reel. So you literally like a, a Rico just pop, 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 pop all the way out down that tree. And as soon as you get halfway to the end, you would see this little brown bastard come scream out and smoke it. Like, <laughs> and like just unload. Like, there was bites that I remember where they'd like pop the popper like 15 feet in the air up into the tree branches above because they'd hit it so hard and never get it. Like, yeah. it's just one of those crazy things. It doesn't happen all the time, but like first light or if you're there real close to dark. There's something about like a bug hatch that happens on little streams that a little like pencil popper or just a little chugging popper can absolutely light their world off. Especially if it's not like insane fast current, that's where you'd want more of a walking bait. But if it's a steady current pool type situation, popper. Like if I could have one rod, one bait and throw it all day long in any situation and be a popper. You know, it's funny that like in the time period we're talking about that the like rebel pop R for me was like so huge in my life, but I never threw it on the river. Yeah. Like I'd take it to my dad was a dairy cattle vet when I was growing up. He'd he'd take me to every farm pond and dang, I couldn't wait to throw that under an overhanging tree. Or if I saw like a branch sticking up out of the water because a branch had fallen off of that tree or something. And I throw it past every piece of cover, but I never yeah. threw it in the river. Like yeah, I yeah. never really got into top water smallies and current. I missed out on that part of childhood. <laughs> Time to go for a walk, bud. Yeah. I, maybe it might be. <laughs> because it, like, there's just something about a top water popper smallmouth in a small creek. And it, and it won't even be a giant that eats it. It'll be like that eight incher that gets both treble hooks like somehow down oh, in yeah. its gullet. But yeah. they absolutely smoke it like a six pounder. Yeah. You're like, what the? <laughs> Skipping <laughs> across the surface on a hook set. Like, yeah. this makes no sense. But no, um, I, uh, I was talking to Bailey about this, I think, in the springtime. I was like, dude, we got to go find, like, a stream and just go catch smallmouth. Because, like, yeah. it's a good way to, like, go back to your roots to have an enjoyable time on the water, right? Like, we're so, like, not stressed out, but we're so gung-ho. Got to be on the boat. Always going 50 to 80 miles an hour, depending on what boat you have. Mm-hmm. You always got to be hopping from spot to spot to spot. Sometimes it's good to take a walk to slow down, breathe the air, and catch little bass because they are feisty little dudes. Well, like you and I talk on the phone like every other day, basically, right? Like every 48 hours. How many times recently has one of us said, I wish I could just go steelhead fishing one time and then get back to this? But like once you're on the grind real hard, like whether it's for you guiding or for me, like producing content and and trying to keep my sponsors happy or fishing derbies or, and you do derbies too. Like it's a constant grind. Right. And that's why, that's why you, I think that's why you and I, we never, you never see us push like this when we're on the creeks in the late fall through the winter, early. (laughs) early Yeah, dude. Cause it's all about just like, 
let me just feel like a kid again. Right. Yeah. Like, let me just kick it. Like breathe. Everybody's like, like some of our friends are like new Creek, new spot. And you and I are kind of like, okay. Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's so nostalgic, dude. It, it brings me to like such a place of inner peace, you know? Yeah. Like the whole stream side, just like, sitting there taking in like being one with like nature like i'm not trying to be like cliche or like right weird or funky here it's just hippie like dippy. hippie dippy yeah right like just sitting there standing with the water running over your legs you're standing there and you're like wow like not a single person around you're desolate you're by yourself it, you're literally just like another piece of the puzzle just enjoying your time as to where like when you're on the boat you're worried about pleasure boaters running you over with their wake boat or jet ski who's gonna get to your spot before you do in a tournament do i have the right baits tied on and that's where like going back to your roots and walking a stream bank sometimes is really so, beneficial for I, not I just this, this. Go ahead. I heard this really creepy story about Rick Klon, and I, you've probably heard it too. This was, I don't know, like back in the 80s or something. He went to a place like three days early before a tournament. He spent like two days naked on a dock to become like truly one with nature. I've never him. heard this story. Yeah, dude. So, so Rick is really like that, right? He really likes to like immerse himself in all of those small things you were just talking about. And like, you know, like some people who are, you know, like super high on the testosterone chart could just be like, Oh, that's so stupid. Like, Oh yeah, you, you're one with nature. Blah, that's lame. Like, but like Rick used to be, and, and still is like one with like keeping his chi very centered and like always being like, fully aware of all the things that the weather and nature presents around him. And yeah, I dude, I heard a story about him. Like he did, he went to some tournament like three days early and like sat naked on the dock, like home for like yeah. two days, wow. <laughs> like just to like fully immerse himself in all of those things that you're talking about. You know, I wonder how many Skeeters got him. I know. <laughs> Ooh, yikes. <laughs> but uh, that's a story covered in mud, you know, yeah. like, like Ace Venture, full, you know? full immersion, yeah. full immersion. No, but like, it's literally good sometimes to just, and I'm like, I wish we had more streams like around here that we can do that. We only have certain times a year in a lot of our creeks that we can walk the bank and catch giant smallmouth. So like the Great Lakes Smallies will run up every single tributary that Steelhead are on. And they literally like, and this is where me and Bailey have talked about like my Steelhead smallmouth connection in previous episodes. But literally smallmouth, if you're a trout fisherman by any means, Steelhead inland trout, like up in the mountains chase them in the river streams, right? And you want to translate that to a river to chase smallmouth. They act entirely the same the way they position and set up in streams. Because yeah. they're there for a reason, and that is to eat. And there's only so many prime areas in any watershed that has natural river flowing current where they can 
be in an advantageous position to feed actively. And river fish tend to feed more than non-river fish. Just, they have to. Their metabolism is way higher. Well, and they never know when the next meal is going to swim by their heads. You know, they have to be opportunistic. Yeah. And that's what makes them so much fun. Like, I hear people walking, like, creeks in other states catching smallies like yeah i caught 121 today now more people are learning about it but like i used to catch 200 in a day and i'm like man i remember those days like and we're out there grinding on the great lakes for six to seven bites yeah some days which is just crazy well i mean it's funny not and i won't go on and on i promise but like that's why i fished the river last year in the st lawrence open and not the lake like I didn't feel comfortable going out trying to get six or seven bites. I wanted to catch 25 a day. It's just more fun. Oh, absolutely. And the more fun you're having, the more loose you are. Exactly. And I needed that at that time of my life. Fair enough. So you got to do what's best for you. And what I'm saying is if you have a stream by you that you know has bass in it, shoalies, largemouth, smallmouth, spots, they're all going to live relatively in the same places. Largemouth might be more in trees and big current breaks. But when it comes to like actual river flow, shoalies, smallmouth spots, like I have no experience with spots or shoalies down south, but they literally are bass. They're predators. They want the same kind of stuff. They need current breaks to feed. And it's very important to learn how to actively break down water and to make precise casts with each technique because each technique is needs a different cast, a different placement in the water in order to get bit and to have well, I, more success on the and, water. And, and I can't really think, Andy, of any species that I've ever caught in current that sets up different you know, that like, oh, you always like maybe musky in the St. Lawrence or in some of those bigger rivers like the St. Clair River and the Detroit. Or maybe they live and set up differently because they live on the move so much more. But like I know drum bass like uh, rock bass, like you find them. They all seem to gravitate towards the same kind of positioning, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. nose into the current, always behind something Mm -hmm. because they're only there for a reason. And that is to eat or rest. Yeah. And while they're resting, they'll still eat. You just have to get it by them in the exact way that they want it. Yeah. So whatever's going to not wake them up out of their sleep, they just want to run over, eat and swirl right back real easy. Yeah. So when are you going to go kick back, relax and go, stream hop and go nostalgic i may actually so next week i have the same basic schedule as this week i have a friend in town but you know her and i might just go stream fishing for a little while now that we're having so we're getting like so in depth down memory lane i'm like i dude i have a spot in my head just like you keep talking about a couple of those overhangs like i got a spot in my head where i'm like dude i might drive the 30 minutes just to go like make 25 casts like just put on my lawn shoes um the funny thing is is like 
there's actually like a parking ride where I can park. So mm. it's not hard to get on. Um, there's a few spots like on that road. One of them there is uh, like a state game commission checkpoint station too, like where they check uh, like deer, like and bear and stuff. So like, I know that property I can always get on to make a couple casts. If I drive the five minutes past it and that's the spot I really want to get to is posted. I can always come back to this one and make a couple casts too. So fair enough. Well, yeah. Joe, I want to say thank you for uh, not just filling in, but also joining me tonight. It Dude. seems like we've had you on more recently, which is nice. This is what, like the fourth time now. I know. I'll just keep you. begging. I'll just keep begging and be You're like, guys, don't begging. forget about me. <laughs> so like um, originally Bailey and I planned to do this show on Tuesday before our live show. And we're like, yeah, it's not going to happen because he just got home from ICAST and he was getting ready to go to the Susky for the tournament. And he's like, well, maybe I can do it at eight. And I'm like, dude, like get ready for your tournament. I'll just ask Joe. And uh, yeah. I'll out. be so interested to see the techniques and to just hear his kind of approach. Like I'll be, it'll be neat with the low water conditions, like how he found them, how he decided to, you know, catch them in practice. And if he, if he had to make changes for the Derby, you know, what kind of caused him to make those changes? It'll be, it'll be interesting to hear his breakdown um, probably on, I guess the next live you guys will do as, as kind of a follow up to this episode. So yeah, that, that, I'm sure there will be, um, a Susquehanna show in the future where we're talking about it. So be on the lookout for that. Cause I think we usually do a full episode based on an event because usually I think we get like the winner on or something from the Hobie tournament. So we will figure that out in the future. But uh, I just want to say thank you again, Joe. Thank you, buddy. um, For everybody listening, we appreciate everybody tuning in. As always, if you're feeling generous, please give us, um, well, actually, please leave us a review if you're an Apple podcast or if you're on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button if you're new here or give us a thumbs up and leave a comment. And uh, for now, everyone, Have a good day. Yeah, thanks, guys. You guys are great fans. I love this show. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.